You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. Welcome. We're live. Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. I'm with Lauren Pespiza tonight. What's up, Lauren? Not much. It's good to be back. I feel like we've been doing this a lot lately. Yeah, we're a minute early, too. Oh, wow. Doing good. That's good. Well, I'm feeling good after those elections, too. I know. <laughs> feeling looking good. Yeah. It's looking pretty good. So I felt good on election night. I, I felt like uh, the congressman. That was, was a fun more, show. It was fun, but I felt like he was more worried about it. Yeah. Than we I, were. And I, I felt like now I realized that not everyone was reading Michael Moore like I was. And I, I wasn't like, reading Michael Moore. I was worried. I was just as worried as him, honestly, until like I after the show and I started looking at the results we were watching. I'm like, oh, oh, wait a sec. This is going OK. At yeah. least, you know, definitely locally and at least nationally. And I felt really good about it myself. But then when I read Michael Moore, it confirmed everything I was already feeling. You know, and I, I think that he talks to a lot of people. Yeah. I think that's the key on this. I think we talk to a lot of people. But we got a great show tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about election results a little towards the end of the show tonight. Yeah. About the local rate. We're also, ex- I mean, we're excited about some of those wins, big wins. People who came on the show who won. <laughs> It was awesome. Uh, we'll, we'll talk all about that. And we'll take uh, maybe some phone calls. If anyone wants to call in. Uh, and we'll put up your uh, instant feedback messages like we always do. Uh, again, my name is Mike Crawford. I'm with Lauren Pespiza co-hosting tonight. We have a guest who's patiently waiting in the green room. We're going to bring her up. Uh, what we want to talk to her about is she is a local journalist writer. Uh, we should read her her CV. I mean, she's got she's written for some great national outlets. She can probably tell us about those. But we're uh, focusing on the top story right now. It's the most popular story at Dig Boston, and it's about the Arlington Police. Arlington Police detained the wrong man, and then they added insult to injury. And we have this journalist. We're going to bring her up. And, and the big thing about this story, too, as you read it, it's pretty outrageous from the beginning. But as you read it, it just gets worse and worse. And yeah, worse it does. There's so much to it. So let's bring her up. There we go. Hi, Laura. Hi. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. And I forgot to ask you, how do we say pronounce your last name? I didn't want to screw that up. Kiesel. Kiesel. Did I say that right? Kiesel? Yes. Laura Kiesel, thank you so much for being here. Tell us about this story because I think, uh, you know, some people haven't read it yet. I know a lot of people have. How did you even get this story, first of all? How did you get the info about this this uh, Arlington police situation? So I live in Arlington and I have covered other issues with the Arlington Police Department. This is not my first uh, story for the dig on on other issues with the APD. Um, So they've already been on my radar. But because I live in Arlington, I'm on a bunch of um, Arlington related uh, Facebook pages for Arlington residents. And I remember when this actually happened, um, when the, the video, some clips are available on on the website for the article. I remember when Donovan Johnson posted these videos and they were shared um, to these 
social media pages that I'm on. So I saw them that week when it happened. Um, and uh, I have to say, I wasn't that surprised uh, considering some of the coverage I've done of the APD. Uh, and then I didn't hear about it. And, and for a while, for a few weeks, there was a lot of outrage um, online, uh, both from some Arlington residents and, and other neighboring communities, Donovan Johnson's in Somerville. And uh, I, I remember following it a little bit because I know that, that they had the independent investigation and I saw the conclusions, which right away some things stuck out for me as being not kosher but i i still like i had other things to do so i wasn't i i wasn't like focusing that much on it and then i heard about the civil rights lawsuit that was filed in august and when i saw the response of the apd and the town um which basically kept citing this independent investigation that they did of and found that there was no racial profiling um i felt like maybe i i should start looking into reporting it because some of the things that the mainstream media was covering this this made um this made uh national and international news when the lawsuit came out it didn't make as much news when it actually happened um uh, beyond like local and i think maybe it hit like boston globe i don't remember when it happened but when the lawsuit was filed it was in the guardian it was in cnn um, it was all across the country. All of these outlets were picking it up, but they were still missing a lot of the details that I thought were really pertinent. Um, and so I decided to, to cover it and to do a more in-depth piece on it. I like to, the story is the Arlington police uh, detained the wrong man. And they basically yes. were searching for someone involved in human trafficking. It was clearly the wrong person because he didn't fit the description at all. And then they made up stuff and they like, tell, I mean, and, and then there was kind of a big cover up on this, right? Yeah. Well, so, um, so they, they were in pursuit of a specific person. Like they had his photo, the police department ha was familiar with them. I think he had, I think he had been detained or arrested by them before. They they had eyewitnesses placing this person. It was a white man at a hotel nearby in Arlington. Um, they even, I think, they even had a description of what he was wearing that night. That's who that they were, they were pursuing that person. And when that person fled from the hotel room, he just happened to be running down the block where Do Donovan Johnson was walking home from work. And the police officer stopped he was, I think he was literally running after the white man, but saw Donovan Johnson and stopped his pursuit of that man and just, you know, uh, now I, I can only say what Donovan Johnson stated, which was that he, he came up to him. I think he said he, he drew a gun or something and told him to get on the ground. And then I think actually physically used force to get him on the ground, tackle him. Um, there were no eyewitnesses at the time, but I think shortly after that, uh, that's when the two passerby pulled over and started recording by the time they got him up and had handcuffed him. So they, they were pursuing someone else. And then that person was caught by the other officers. And he also confirmed, I don't know who this other man is. So he even confirmed then that he did not know who John Donovan Johnson was. Um, and yet they continued to, um, search him, take his belongings. Um, 
I don't know if you've watched some of the video, but they told the people on the video that, you know, they kept alluding that he was being detained in connection to human trafficking. Um, they put him in the squad car, which the documents I read later seem to disclose that he was put in the squad car because the police didn't want the whole thing to keep getting recorded. Um, they, they, um, I, in the documents, they also showed that they felt like he was engaging in theatrics or grandstanding for the camera because he was acting so upset. Um, they derided him for a call. You know, he kept asking the passerbys to call his mother and in all these um, both internal documents and the investigation itself, the police officers like, why did he want us to call his mom? He's a grown man. And I just thought that was strange and really tone deaf considering this is a black man in America being detained. And I think he, I, I don't know for sure, but I think he lived with his mother too. And like he was supposed to be home any minute. So I think anyone would say, call someone and tell them, you know, what's happening. So I, but I think that that also kind of uh, displayed some of the callousness going on um, by the officers in the way he was treated. Think, there were even things that were not in the article, like they took him to the, the hotel and the hotel also, uh, again, confirmed that they did not know this person, that he they did not see him that night. But they still kept him there for a while and were talking to him. And they made comments to him like, you better straighten your life out, which is strange because he hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, he was coming home from his like job at a hospital where I believe he works as a grants administrator. So, yeah, all of that happened. Um, and... There, there was even stuff I could not get into in the article. There was just so much. But um, afterwards, there was a police report filed. And that's some things that I, I have seen some mainstream media outlets uh, reporting on this, but not all. And I think it's really critical is afterwards, the police report that was filed on his detainment continued to try to link him and the white suspect, saying that they they had a link on like this database known as CopLink, which they did not, um, saying that like, oh, and the, the officer said he came across a picture of Donovan Johnson with a handgun, and that was not of Donovan Johnson. It was of a different black man. But all of these things that were in the police report that seemed to be to digging in to try to justify his detainment after the fact, and yet none of those things were considered in this, in, you know, independent investigation, which uh, supposedly ruled out racial profiling. Yeah, I mean, uh, listeners are commenting on Facebook. Uh, someone wrote, so so walking while black got this man arrested. Crazy world we live in. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And get your life together. The dude's a hospital grants administrator. That I sounds know, like right? a pretty, like, what's a pretty a, professional like, job. Yeah, like I know probably, a grant administrator. She's like the most professional person like, I know. They like, were just trying to justify what they just did the whole time. It's out like, you know, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. It's crazy because in the like in the police report, Laura, this is where like I'm like, wow, these guys are really bad, like not good at their job. They they wrote something about that. They were suspecting that he was a cannabis distributor or something like that. Oh, geez. How, how did they throw that in there? They had well, no so he had he ha I think he had some marijuana in his pocket. I don't even think it was that much. And yet they were like, so now it's intent to distribute, which um yep. <laughs> That's what they and, do. <laughs> and, you know, they, so they they also said that they were going to charge him with assault and battery of an officer. And from what I could tell, it was simply because he was struggling when he was 
tackled, you know, because he was sort of straining and like because he was distraught that they said that he didn't in the police report nothing i read said that he like sh- like tried to punch anyone it just seemed because when he got tackled he was squirming they were like now we're going to charge you with assault and battery but i want to clarify and underscore that none of those charges ever materialized so um i don't i think even the police department knew that there was not enough there to actually follow through on those charges oh, no way and he had no um, criminal record yeah. like no criminal no, record no documented marijuana is legal in massachusetts you can't that's crazy yeah I mean, that's just insane someone having a little weed in their pocket i mean that's it's legal yeah. a judge would laugh that well out. that's why they charge you with possession with intent now yeah they well, want to try the they try <laughs> come on I mean, you know they were trying to back up their bogus harassment yeah. of this man it's pretty scary uh, but it's not surprising yeah that, and then laura after this happened right mm-hmm. they investigated themselves but it was basically a cover-up right Well, I mean, as a reporter, I don't want to call anything specifically a cover up, but what I felt and I want to say APD does have a history of um, getting third parties that they have very close ties with to sort of they say check themselves, but it seems like it it doesn't quite do that. It exonerates them more than like watchdogs them. So uh the thing that had jumped out in me right away, and I knew to look for this because the sim- similar thing happened with the APD last time where they had an officer who had published a bunch of racist um, columns in a police trade publication. They offered him, quote unquote, restorative justice rather than fire him. Um, and the restorative justice is this group that is uh, here in the Boston area that is founded and funded by police departments um and the you know the apd had a chief that was on the board of that that was sort of justice group so you know i remember the concern then being like is this group really offering restorative justice or is it just sort of giving a check mark so that it could seem like this officer did something so that the town cannot so that the town can sort of say, well, he didn't just get off scot-free. We gave him restorative justice and he went through this program. So when right away when they said they did a third-party investigator, I looked him up and it jumped out with at me that he worked at Bedford Police Department. And I knew Bedford Police Department was um, where the chief had worked before he had worked there, had worked in Arlington Police Department for many years. And he's married to a high-ranking Arlington town official. Um, well, first it jumped out at me that this wasn't a, a former police officer. And I, I, I don't, I agree with Sophia Hall, who is with the Lawyers for Civil Rights, who is representing Johnson, that from everything I've read or reported on, that police officers or former police officers don't necessarily make the best, um, the best investigators of police misconduct. Um, because they're entrenched in that way of thinking, right? And that's what, and that's the pro- protocols they're going to use, um, which themselves have a lot of racist implications. So there was that, but then seeing where he did serve as a police detective and knowing that he knew officers from Arlington, you know, he had very intimate times with APD. He probably might've even known these officers um, or at least knew people who knew them well. You know, that to me presented potential conflicts of interest. And at the very least, I think those ties needed to be um, transparent and pointed out. Not that he was hiding them. I mean, you, I, I could go on his LinkedIn profile and see where he worked. But I just thought it was interesting that it was never once brought up by the town. 
um, by any other media outlets, what his background was. And most importantly, so like the investigation did find things wrong, which was strict. So they found that he didn't fault that the police officers didn't follow the proper protocols, you know, and that they probably had that they didn't really have probable cause that they weren't justified in detaining Johnson. And yet, Ultimately, he still said that they that they didn't use excessive use of force and that they did not racially profile. And I feel like those things seem are kind of inherently contradictory because you're saying they had no justification for stopping Johnson, um, that they did several things during the during the detainment that um, broke policy and yet they're like, but there's no racial profiling or use of force. But then it begs the question, then why did they why did they do this to Johnson? Why did they break all these policies that they otherwise, you know, usually don't break in this case, um, or at least that that we know of? So that seems strange to me. Um, that that he said that that it was no, you know, that there was no racial profiling, and it seemed to be a contradiction. Um, and to say no excessive use of force, but is to me. It seems like, and I, the investigator does say this, even though he still says no excessive use of force. He he does acknowledge in the investigation, you know, I guess it could be argued that any use of force is excessive if there's not probable cause, you know, and that seems to be the case here. So it, there just seem to be like a lot of contradictions even in the investigation. And uh, something I want to mention is the definition of uh, profiling that they're using um, is that the APD uses and that a lot of police departments use is a definition of racial profiling that a lot of civil rights and le legal experts do not agree with because they think that um, it basically offers cover, which is that um, it's a definition that says it's racial profiling if you're only looking at race. And I think, you know, I quoted a couple of, I quoted an expert I interviewed and I quoted the ACLU. They think like, well, nothing is based solely on one factor. So these officers could argue, oh, well, we didn't stop him because he's black. We stopped him because he was running down, he was walking down the same street as this man. So we thought he was involved with him or they could make other they can have other reasons, but they're saying, oh, but it's not just because he's black. And so then you get a pass saying, okay, it's not racial profiling. But most civil rights groups agree that it, race has to be one of the things in combination of other things for it to be profiling. And in this case, it seems like there was no reason to stop him. So why, why did they stop him? And why did they make up these um, connections or seemingly make up these connections afterwards in the police report? The police report spells it out to me. I want, I want all of our cannabis people out there because I know we, you know, we're a big kind of cannabis show and our, our community knows this. If I get in a similar situation as a white guy with the weed in my pocket, they're not putting distribution in my police report. They did that because he was a black guy. There's no question in my mind. It's, it's just common sense especially after the law has been changed. That, that's my opinion. I think most people in the cannabis community that have been around, Lauren, would you agree? Being Absolutely. A cannabis consumer, I mean, do you well, think they would have done that to you? Maybe, maybe you me, Mike, but you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's because most but let's just say that you were the average, you know, the you average like you person the, you that have your like me, reputation. They would, they would not even like, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't. They, I mean, uh, the possession with intent of marijuana in 2021, a charge 
like that for weed and yeah, it's hard your pocket to, is ludicrous. Like, yeah, it's hard for them to to uh, convict people of it. It's just to get them, clearly it, outside the law, caught it, with like major poundage. Right, and like interstate so a guy or like whatever. This, it's a joke. It's a joke. Did, you know, yeah, it's a joke. And I mean, obviously, he didn't get charged with that because that's right. not a real charge anymore. But, um, but it shows their intent, what they were thinking. They were possessing him with intent to cover their butts. For, for yeah. can I swear on the show? Can I, for cover, they I were, they were possessing him with the intent to cover their asses because they they detained him for no reason and were just kind of making up like you know he what if he had a Swiss Army knife in his pocket it would have been even right. more yeah. you know what I mean like average oh, they were stuff. looking they were looking yeah they were looking right like they were they were they knew they screwed up and meanwhile I guess they did catch the actual human trafficker which I actually had a question what or when you say human trafficking what is that. Well, I also want to say, I don't even know if that person was engaging in human trafficking. Right, the accused I didn't, did, yeah. He was accused of it, but I also, in the investigation on Donovan Johnson, they interviewed the women who were in the hotel, and I think they were saying that that's not why they were at the hotel. They were there to meet for other reasons. I So I don't even want to... Sure, sure. Because I don't know what... Because in, in that case, it might not have been even trafficking for that man. Um it might have just been dr- I know he was I know he did have uh, I think he had heroin on him so it might have just been something a drug deal yeah they might yeah, have drug had... addicts sharing drugs right for... okay well, you know that, it might have been some people, yeah, that, that can mean you know that you just that phrase can mean something from uh, hiring it you know uh, hiring an undocumented maid and holding their passport so that you, they can't leave to you know trafficking children across state lines for so I think there were two women in the hotel and I think they were worried that those women were being trafficked right okay um who were in the hotel room with him but I I didn't really follow that story as much just only really in the context of how it it related to Johnson's detainment right Um, so it sounds like a big sweep like they were just trying to grab anybody in the vicinity of that guy too like in that case like they were chasing this guy and they stopped and chased some random person yeah, so the, I think uh, the white suspect ran past Johnson, and you know, I know like Johnson had posted on Facebook that he was like, "Whoa, what's this guy doing?" But the next thing, the cop comes up and is like, "What are you doing?" And like, um, you know, then detains him, and I, you know, technically he didn't even arrest him, but he did all the things associated with an arrest too, like you know, handcuffed them, him and seized yep. him and put him in the squad car, but yep. it wasn't even technically arrest, which also is like, I think the violation of the policy. Um, it's wrongful. But- it's wrongful. I mean, it's a great lawsuit. Quite frankly, from, I'm also seeing this as a great lawsuit um, that, you know, they're going to win uh, given my experience with uh, my husband uh, suing police departments for wrongful detainment and stuff. This is a, this is a solid a solid case they have and i hope that he you know bankrupts them in the process <laughs> for all i care he can take all he can he can defund the police single-handedly I, I i hope he does but yeah that's a if they detained him without actually in made up trial all that all that is such a good such a good case i want to ask laura because the, the these police now they have records of their own mm-hmm. well and- Right. I mean, they have yeah. got some scandals. They've got some things not they don't look like good people, especially with what they did to this man. And, and just, you know, based on how are they going to continue to be law enforcement? I mean, he, he was also named this one guy, Conroy. He was selected oh, yeah. the APD, 
uh, APD Officer of the Year, mm-hmm. but he's also had some other issues with racial profiling co- complaints against him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is this the type of thing where they might lose their license or not? Um, well, so that officer left the department. Okay. Um, and that was the main... That officer was the one I focused on the most because he is the one who used force on Johnson. He's the one who approached him. Um, he's the one who initially handcuffed him. He's the one who filed that police report who made the con- the false connection between Johnson and the white suspect and, and said he was, you know, he had a handgun in the media. So Con- Conroy had like things that were the most that jumped out the most at me so I was covering mostly Conroy and Conroy um, they say he left the department and they wouldn't tell me more they said he left voluntarily I don't know what that means um, but he's not so he's not in law enforcement anymore but he could to- be again though I mean that's I, yeah I don't know and you know I don't I to be honest I haven't kept up because I don't I know Massachusetts was one of the few states that didn't license or permit their officers right and I think that might have changed recently or been a move to change that yeah. I don't know yeah, how that would affect kind of, I, don't, I don't know exactly how it works but they, they leave recently before they, they believe they leave before they can be subject to an internal investigation and be sanctioned just like that cop in uh Woburn that just did that mm-hmm. they leave before they have to go through that like so they can they can work in law enforcement again. And so that officer had, um, like you said, he had had a racial profiling complaint before uh, that he, and similar argument was, I. so the two reasons that racial profiling, um, that the investigator said racial profiling wasn't present in this case is they said, oh, well, the officer didn't know his race until he actually like, confronted him so he didn't know his race when he was running up from behind him and he was gonna and as he was stopping him he didn't realize his race until as he was like cuffing him or something like that and there's a similar and i guess there was a similar argument when he had a racial profiling complaint years before oh he didn't know the race of the person he was um following around in the car and there's actually an like a t- i think this is called the undercover of night argument and there has been um it's I've heard that this is something that police departments say, oh, well, when we pull over people or when we stop people, we don't know their race until we stop them. And sometimes even then we don't know their race. Um, And so that has been used to absolve a lot of racial profiling cases because for some reason it's only considering the stop up till the stop and not what happens when and after you stop, which is strange to me because that's where the differential treatment can happen. That's right. Racial, the investigator said there was no racial profiling because A, they didn't know what Johnson, that Conroy did not, the officer Conroy did not know Johnson was black until he stopped him. But again, that was interesting to me because it's like, but but he did once he stopped him. And that's where all of this differential treatment started happening. And two, the only treatment afterwards that the investigator seemed to consider is whether there were racial slurs or epithets used against him. And because there weren't, it was like, oh, it's not racial profiling. And I was like, that's a really low bar that it's like, you know, as long as you're not using a racial and, you know, blatant racial slur, you're not racial profiling because, you know, we could name so many examples where officers don't use slurs and they're obviously racially profiling. Um, So those were the two things. But um, I know there's been, like I mentioned it in my article, there was a, you know, a court case a few years ago. 
um, at the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts that did say it can't now you we have to start considering this was for traffic stops but to start considering how people are treated during the stop for racial profiling it can't just be so that undercover of night argument can't be the only thing being used it has to be well how do they treat them when they stop them even if they can claim they don't know the race so it's just strange to me that that wasn't considered all the, the just how he was treated worse than um the white suspect himself was right? treated, right? Yeah, that's what um, it sounds like. And that's what it says in the Lawyers for Civil Rights um, suit. It says like he was treated different than and worse than the white suspect who was actually being pursued that night. And and imagine that you're 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 walking home from work, you just finish your shift, you're all happy to get home, and and this is what happens to you on the way home walking. And he was Back like a block from his apartment, I think. I yeah, think he went to buy a, see, a soda. And he, then you could see his apartment from where he was being detained. I think he could see his actual window. That's so messed up. But that happened in Cambridge, too. So does now, now does he still live in Arl- Arlington, you think? Oh, he lives in Somerville. And that's oh, another that's another aspect of this case is that this detainment occurred in Somerville. So it was outside of the APD's jurisdiction, which is supposed to heighten I think it, it it means there's even more responsibility because when you're acting outside of your jurisdiction, I think wow. you have to have so even a heightened sense that. of probable so, cause. Yeah. So yeah. So this 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 I missed this. I gotta read these stories more closely. So this actually happened in the city of Somerville. Arlington yeah. was doing as, and Arlington was doing something in Somerville. Well, so Arlington and Somerville at the East Arlington uh, corridor. It's right at the. Um, it's right at the border. So, you know, where Homewood Suites is, that's um, the uh, Hilton Suites on yeah. Arlington. That is right at the corner of like where Cambridge, well, on the Mass Ave side, Cambridge. But if you walk up it toward where um, it used to be Johnny's Foodmaster and now it's a stop and shop, um, that's where the Somerville line is. So he was walking home and he was on the Somerville line. But once you, and I think when the white suspect fled the hotel, he passed that town line into Somerville and Johnson was already on the Somerville line walking to his apartment um, or his home actually and he that's when he was detained but because the officers were now acting outside of their jurisdiction I think there's even a from what I read in the investigation that means there's even more need for probable cause if you're acting outside of your jurisdiction and so um yeah so much wrong with this (laughs) it just goes on and on uh, when you're when you find a story like this, are you shocked? Like, are you shocked to see, or are you just kind of expect these types of stories a lot? You know, I feel like um, I feel like so. I grew up in uh, in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, um, and during like the '90s, during like the Giuliani administration, uh, and it was a lot of racist policing. I grew up in a like a, a community of color. And I, my family members actually had a lot of addiction issues. So even in my own family, I like my uncle was assaulted by police when he was arrested for for drug possession. My mother was sexually assaulted by police. So I already had some um, cynicism towards policing. But I have to say, as a white person, 
When I moved out of Brooklyn, I really did when I moved to this area and, and lived in Arlington, I thought, oh, it's a, little, it's a little different here. And then when I started covering the issue with that officer I mentioned before, uh, Padrini, and that also made national news when that happened, who published all those racist columns, and he just was not fired. Um, and all the, the, the way the town seemed to bend over backwards to try to, um, I guess, appease the police and not the people who are concerned about him. I, I have not been surprised at all about these things because ever since then, it seems like everything I've witnessed here in Arlington, and I mean, obviously we've had an awakening as a country with um, the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Movement, bef- you know, was burgeoning before that. But during COVID, I think a lot of people started paying attention even more um, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. But I've just seen it. It just seems that there's a real obstinance here to maintain the systems we have as they are. I mean, here in Arlington, we passed a lot of uh, we we have more commissions and stuff. And I still feel like there are toothless commissions that at the end of the day might say, oh, yeah, the officer should have done X, Y, Z. But they're not going to say the things that they're going to need to say. I want to say that like Arlington, because of the Padrini thing a few years ago, did just pass a thing to have a police advisory review board and they had a commission uh, before that to study whether they needed a review board and I found it interesting that a lot of people on those commissions including people that I thought would um, be a little more harder on this issue were basically praising the police department for this investigation um, and saying well you know I'm upset that Johnson was detained and but the police chief did what she had to do with the investigation and we think that that was the right step and and that's disheartening to me because when even the commissions that are and boards that are supposed to be watchdogging are just basically i feel like exonerating these the they the the police officers it's not going to really lead to change i mean the arlington human rights commission which as you'll notice in my article was where that first racial profiling complaint on this officer was filed years ago and they dismissed it they dismissed it and now look at what he went on to do went on to detain this man um that commission has had police officers at their meeting ever since there was a a protest about the Padrini thing. So the the commission that's supposed to take complaints has police at their meetings. So no one who's scared of the police or who are dealing with human rights violations by the police are going to go to the Human Rights Commission because the police are there and they're partnering with the police. So that that really is upsetting. And I think I've become more cynical in that way that even in a way I wasn't a few years ago. Has that been brought up at the at the meetings? Like, is that point of view, like that people might be afraid to have the police here? Oh, I mean, I brought it up. You have, yeah. and I know I've been to those meetings, and I brought, and I was at, and I was present at the one where there was. So I was present at the meeting where there was the protest. I was there for another reason, but I was there that night, and I was, um, I got yelled at by a select board uh, member. A, a few days later saying now we're going to have police at the meeting so people like you can't be there because you know even though I wasn't part of the protest I definitely agreed with them and I was vocal like 
about the Pedrini case and I was covering it as a journalist at the time. And, you know, then I came across in my public records requests inadvertently that other select board members were not only saying, yes, let's have police at the Human Rights Commission meetings, but they were having me trailed by plainclothes police. Yep. Um, and they called my landlord to have a talk. Like, I lived in affordable housing at the time. They called my landlord to have a discussion with me. Like, I'm a child, like this troublemaker, Laura Kisa, let's talk about it. Just really inappropriate. And it just, if, you know, I don't. Wow. Was yeah, this the, it just. Was that, this the protest in 2020? Yeah. But. Uh, no, this was before 2020. This was before COVID. So this was in 20, I think, 18. Okay, COVID okay. makes me lose track of time. But okay. so I was, had, I, I've been to some Arlington protests. I was just curious if it was one of those. That's crazy. What? And they've had police ever since. Yeah. Well, and I know that is. they had a meeting just Saturday whether or not to continue with police. And I don't know what the outcome to have police presence at the Arlington Human Rights Commissions. And I know one commissioner has been trying to push them to not have police at those meetings. Um, but I don't know what the outcome has been of that all of these meetings are they're having meetings to have to form more counts committees to have more meetings and none of them actually do that much anyway what do you what do you think that they could do like what can like the average person maybe they live in arlington what what should they be doing laura about this i mean even though i i am disillusioned i still think it's always good to write you know, select board, the town manager to say like this, this does not make me happy that this is happening. Um, to be honest, though, I do think at the end of the day, because I, I have seen a groundswell of um, advocacy from people in and around Arlington with the town to like at the time of the Padrini thing, it was to terminate to Padrini. I've seen them try to reform things here and they've gotten some small wins i mean they did fight for a police advisory review board and that's coming but like i said i'm considering what i just explained i'm 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 not very i don't have a lot of faith it's gonna work so i think a lot of pressure is gonna have to come from outside of the town and 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 i think that things like lawsuits like this need to happen um because i don't think I mean, to me, it was interesting. And I think what really pulled the trigger for me covering this piece, because to be honest, after covering the APD a lot, I was burnt out. I've gotten um, I've gotten hit pieces written about me on conservative outlets in the area. Um, I've gotten death threats um, from and from people I know in neighbor in the neighborhood, not death threats, but definitely like a lot a lot of nasty emails and comments uh, for covering the APD. So that's why I was a little reluctant to get involved covering this. But um, I feel like you know, as a privileged white person, I I can't just watch this happening and watch a lot of white people like commending the police chief for an investigation that I feel was deeply flawed and obviously at the end still made a conclusion that was not that the actual details of the case and facts did not support. So I got involved again. Um, but I think that un- and until more lawsuits like this are filed, until there are actual outcomes where townspeople start feeling it in their pocketbooks because like the town's gonna have to pay if they lose, that the town is not going to change. You know, I saw the APD, um, but I saw the town manager make comments just the quotes saying like I just have faith in the APD and I in response to this lawsuit it's 
you know, you read that and you think, okay, um, you know, more needs to happen here because when you're faced with this kind of like overt differential treatment of a person who's a black man and Arlington is still pretty white. I mean, it's not as white as some of the other like uh, burbs out here like Belmont and Lexington, but it's a lot whiter than Cambridge or Somerville, right, that we're on the border with. Um, I think that we there needs to be more pressure because um, it is going to get more diverse over time. And I'm worried about what's going to happen if we don't have more changes in leadership. And so could cost the you know, could cost Arlington a lot of money too. lawsuits. They, you know, these police yeah. lawsuits are very costly when they lose. So, um, and, and Laura, thank God you're covering this. Thank yeah. God you've been doing this work. I know you said you were burnt out and get discouraged. I feel all of that. I've been through the same thing in the cannabis space and some of the corruption we've exposed and a story that we've been kind of staying on recently. It's just, you, that's your mission. I could tell you're, you're that person. Thank God you're there doing this work. Um, will you be covering this story more or how can we follow yeah. this lawsuit yeah. in particular? Um, because I love police lawsuits personally. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, it just kind of depends. I, I, the timing of this was, I was trying to, so I was working on this throughout the late summer, early fall and I think that the APD or the town of Arlington had to respond to the lawsuit right yeah. around this, like right around now or okay. maybe a week. So I think this article came in right before their response. And I was interested in, I was wondering like, is this going to change their response, how they respond if there's more media coverage, you know, because there was a, there was a lot of media coverage in August when the suit was filed, but there hadn't been much since then. And then my article came out right before this. And so I know that I don't think here in Arlington, it's gotten quite the attention that the last that the Padrini did thing did. But I'm wondering how it's going to change their how they respond to the suit. Um, it will. I mean, if it, if you boost it, it's, it's good. I mean, especially if they're if this is like if you're at the next step of the lawsuit, any media coverage puts more pressure on them. Um, these things take a while, uh, but yeah, it's actually great timing then. Um, and you know, I'm curious because I, I want to see, you know, what happens. Uh, and you said it's a group lawyer, lawyers, lawyers for, for civil, civil rights. rights. Yeah, okay. and I had actually interviewed Sophia Hall um, just as not not even in connection, but when I was covering the Padrini issue with those um, articles and I was uh, doing writing about when it's appropriate to use uh, restorative justice, I had interviewed her for that piece years ago, not knowing that she'd wind up, you know, the lawyer of a person in another case with with the APD. So I had already had a connection with her from interviewing her for a prior piece. Um, but Lawyers for Civil Rights does okay. does great work. I mean, they're a small nonprofit, but they do do a lot on police accountability great. in the Boston area, great. Um, which is why I reached out to her years ago to just interview her on police and restorative justice. Um, and they, they, I think they were doing a lot of good work on immigration, um, immigrants' rights too as well. Um, so you should definitely check them out. They get interviewed. I see them interviewed on a lot of the PBS shows too, as experts, whenever those issues come up. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I hope you keep us updated. Anything that comes up 
you know, anything that you're writing with Dig Boston or any other outlets. So tell us, you've written for a number of outlets. Tell us some of the outlets that you've written for. Yeah, I mean, so besides Dig Boston, I, I've written for Salon. Actually, I've had a couple of pieces of Digs that I've written for Digs syndicated in Salon, but I've written original pieces for Salon both before and after that. Um, I've written for Politico, The Washington Post, Vice. Um, yeah, I've, I've, the da- the New York Daily News. So I've been a freelancer for like 15, 15 years. So I think I have a wow. fairly long CV. It sounds impressive, but as a freelancer, you do, sp- it, 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 these are collected over years, um, the bylines, but I am, I'm, I'm very happy whenever I get featured anywhere. The, the rush of seeing your name someplace never goes away. No, How do we follow you? Like, are definitely. you on Twitter or have you moved to Mastodon? Yes. <laughs> I am on Twitter now still, but I'm trying not to be on it as much. And I don't know if I'm going to stay. I definitely have not gone on as much uh, since Elon Musk bought it over. I'm at Survival Writer um, is my handle. So Survival Writer. And I actually, one of the few times I've been on since the Musk takeover was to, to post this article. And I was happy to see that I think um, that Court Watch Massachusetts retweeted this piece. Awesome. And I think the New England Innocence Project retweeted it and got, a, you know, and that, that definitely boosted it. And I was happy to see that those groups, which I, I actually, I was already following Court Watch MA, but I don't think I had been following the New England Innocence See, that, Project. See, that's the thing. That's like me. I, I love uh, Cult Watch MA on Twitter. I, oh, yeah, I, they're great. They're I great. share like everything. Years, so I, I got to find the Innocence Project. I didn't know that they yeah, were Yeah, New Twitter. England Innocence Project. So I wasn't I wasn't following them, but now I am. I was happy to see that they they picked it up. But Court Watch MA, I had been following for several years. So to see them tweet a piece of mine um, felt good. You know, it's when when it's places you know fight the good fight for for justice, and they tweet you. You feel like you're you're doing God's you're doing work. a good job because I yeah. know that you know. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Congratulations! I hope you get much more coverage on this. If people like, if any reporters are, are watching this and they want to reach out, how do they reach out to you, or maybe someone else that has another case that they want to talk to you about? Yeah, so I'm at Gmail, like lakiesel.gmail.com uh, is probably the best way to reach me. I, I do still go a few couple times a week on Twitter at The Survival Writer if people want to DM me on there. Um, I should still be on it for a little while. As a journalist, it's hard to give up the social media handles because you have all these connections. Right. So I'm probably going to keep the Twitter for a while just to at least check once, you know, at least a couple times a week to see if people are reaching out. You haven't moved to Mastodon yet? I want to move. So I was just actually looking an hour to a couple hours ago at Mastodon um, to see. It's a little overwhelming. I'm, I know. It's a little hard to get into, it's but it's actually, it's actually it's actually That's what my thing. It's not Twitter. It's not I'm Twitter. Not doing it. it's but all the cool the kids are thing. doing it. Not Join us. Close. I mean, I'm, everybody follows everybody right now because there's not many people on it. So yeah. like just like post it on your twitter and you're going to get a bunch of followers it'll be an early adopter okay highly yeah. recommend mastodon All because right. i'm i'm kind of old-fashioned i mean twitter and facebook are it for me like when people i don't do tiktok i don't do oh yeah Instagram. No, i no. don't do any of the because it's just it's overwhelming enough the those two right. for me 
yeah, I don't even do Instagram very well or TikTok. Or I, I, I'm the same way. Facebook and Twitter for me, but I, I moved to Mastodon because I feel like uh, makes a statement, I guess. And also it's like fun to be the first person on something that works exactly the same way as the thing that you're good at. Mm-hmm. It's like not a different, it's not like you have to start making videos mm-hmm. and dancing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show tonight and sharing any last words you want to share with the audience about this story or any other stories that you're covering. Uh, well, at the time that I think that's it. I mean, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I'm interested to see if the town uh, evolves on this issue. Like they did evolve a little on the Padrini issue. At first, they wouldn't call his his columns racist. Now they'll at least say that, that they were racist messaging. I'm wondering what happens there. So we'll, we'll see. Well, we, let's hope so. Let's hope yeah. they, they wake up and do the right thing for once. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for calling in tonight, Laura. Thank you. Laura, that is Laura Kiesel with Dig Boston. She's got the story. You should check it out. Arlington police detained the wrong man. Then they added insult to injury. That is the story. You should definitely check it out. It's the top story on Dick Boston right now. Most popular story. 